Scripture reading this morning comes from Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still, so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray. There are oh so many things, Father, that we are grateful for. We are grateful for this rain, this torrent that comes into the dry places of our city and replenishes and makes good the soil for the very things, Father, that that are beautiful to our eye and the food that we eat that sustains us. But more than anything else, we are grateful, Father, when we come together and we sing how our hearts are are flush with your presence and, and they overflow with goodness. We are refreshed and encouraged, enlivened, invigorated, and made ready to live made ready to live our lives in your presence, in this world, in this age, with your spirit, like your son, the kingdom of God in our hearts, and bringing the kingdom of God into this city or wherever we go, to the goodness of blessing in people's lives and to the blessing and the praise of your name. And as we think about this psalm this morning, Father, we are asking you, because you are the one who does it. You are the one who is able to bring sight to our eyes and hearing to our ears in such a way that we see and we hear as you see and hear on this planet. We want this oh so much with your word this morning from Psalm 67. And this we pray with all of our heart in the name of Jesus. And we all say, We're going to end our foray into the Psalms today. Uh, We've been looking at the Psalms all summer and thinking about the different ways that the Psalms help us to understand what a life of faith looks like. And today we're going to look at Psalm 67. Psalm 67 is a psalm that is about mission. And I want to connect it to our mission statement. That It's it's a, a statement that I think we all should have memorized by now. But if you haven't, it's up here on the screen. Let's say it together with our outside voices. We love God. We love people. We change the world. Let's say that one more time. We love God. We love people. We change the world. One day over in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is asked a, a very important question. An expert in the law has this question for him. And he asked Jesus, when you think about all of the the, the hundreds of laws 
commandments that there are. And then how this oral tradition has been built around it with all of its hedges and all of its laws and all of its stipulations and, and its ideas about how to live faithfully to Torah. What is the singular greatest point of that law? And Jesus quotes Moses over in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And without batting an eye, without flinching, without hesitating, he says, you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. But he, he doesn't stop at that point. He says, but there's a second that is like it. And that is when you love your neighbor as yourself. When we say as a church that our mission, top, foremost, is to love God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength, what we are saying is that we make God ultimately important. We love God because He makes His face shine upon us. We love Him because, 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, He loved us. And with that experience, that taste of that love is so great that we want to be consumed all the days of our life by that kind of love. And that's why we love God. God is not just necessary, even though that's the way some of us approach Him. We approach Him as necessary. But God is not just necessary. God is desirable. Christianity is not a religion that tries to keep God at a distance. Our faith desires Him intimately. And that's what it means to love God. To love people is to be sent out into the world as disciples who are shaped and revolutionized by God's love, by Jesus' life, and the Spirit's power. And when you are shaped by God's love, you're going to look differently to the people around you. You're going to love people, not objectify them or commodify them. That people are just a means to your end. When you love people in that kind of way, you'll be kind where the expectation is that there's going to be some form or some level of cruelty that's going to be experienced. You'll be self-controlled where anger is anticipated. You're going to be generous where tight-fistedness is the norm. You're going to build others up rather than tear them down. You're going to serve them rather than look the other way. And that, quite frankly, loving God that way and loving people that way is how we change the world. We live that love. As disciples of Jesus of Nazareth, we live that love publicly. We don't ever put that light under a bushel. One of the first lessons as a child, in the songs that we sing, you never put that light under a bushel. We live our lives. We live our love for God. We, we live our love for people in a public way. And that's why Peter, years and years and years ago, when Peter is an old apostle, and he's pretty close to the end of his life. He's writing to the church and he's reminding them of things. And you know, as he's writing, these things pop up and he's trying to instruct and he's reminding. In 1 Peter chapter 3, he says, In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Some of the other translations say sanctify, which means that you set him apart. You set him apart as holy in your heart. He's the center of everything. In your heart, you revere Christ as Lord. 
And when you do that, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But don't do it ready to punch them in the face if they don't agree with you or they don't believe. You do this with gentleness and you do it with respect. People look at your life when you live it publicly like this, loving God and loving them. They look at your life and they have questions that at some point lead to the all-important question. Man, whatever it is that happened to you, how can I get that to happen to me? That joy that you seem to have, that, that buoyancy that you have when the waters get a little turbulent, that, that, uh, that freedom in your life, that, 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 that self-control, the way that you're able to kind of just walk into people's lives and make things better. How can what happened to you happen to me? And you say, let me tell you about the one who changed my life. And you share the gospel. And that's what Psalm 67 helps us to understand how to do. How we, we change the world. Number one, he says we share the blessings. Number two, we do what God does. And number three, we think big. We think really big. So how do you change the world? Point number one, you share rather than hoard God's blessings. Do you think, just for a moment, think about this. Do you think the world, our, our country, our state, our city, could use some people who look like and live like the Christ in every area of their life? Not just on Sundays, not just on Wednesday nights, not just when they're with other members of their church family, but they live like the Messiah. They live like the disciple of Jesus Christ every day of their life in every area of that life. They're not politicizing, they're not polarizing, but through grace they become elegantly kind in word and deed. I think so. And one of the ways that we do that is to learn how to share, not hoard, but to share the blessings of God. Notice how this psalm begins, verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. Salah. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. Selah. If you've been reading through the Old Testament anytime recently, you recognize the first verse is part of that ironic blessing, that benediction that Aaron is given in Numbers uh, chapter 6. Aaron's blessing upon the people was to remind them that God's presence, that God's love, that God's gracious inclination toward them was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing that was never to be forgotten, that was never to be taken for granted. That God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, His face was shining on them. What does that mean? Well, we may not say it face shining in, in our own vernacular. But when my, my little granddaughter comes into the room, one, one of my favorite things is get all the chores done on I Take Fridays Off. Get everything done. Mow the lawn. I, I love to buy the groceries. Save Ellen the, the, uh, the wear and tear. 
And, uh, you know, when you buy your own groceries, you buy what you want to eat. And it works out for both of us. And I tried to get all that done, put everything away, make sure the house, you know, straight enough for Ellen to get home. And then I go to the daycare. And um, I just don't burst in. I, I look through the big window, and I just watch her for a little bit. And finally, that little girl, something maybe, maybe the, the, the little teacher tells her, hey, partner's at the window. And she turns around, and my face is beaming. And she starts jumping up and down because partner is here to spring me. <laughs> and we're going to get a Klondike bar somewhere in that negotiation or a popsicle. When my face shines on my family, on my wife, my daughter, my son-in-law, my son, my granddaughter, it means that there is love that is beaming out of my eyes. I'm smiling upon them. That was a, a, a fact of their existence that was easy to take for granted. That God had brought them out of Egypt, that God had given them manna, that God had made water come out of rocks. And it was easy to take that for granted, to forget that His mercies, Lamentations chapter 3, are new each and every morning. And that's why we have that little word salah right after that verse. We don't know precisely what that word means, but most of the commentators, most of the Hebrew experts believe that it was a reminder to pause. You read that verse, God be gracious to us, God blesses, He makes His face shine upon us. Pause. Why pause? It was a reminder to pause and to reflect on those words. Don't run quickly over them without reflection. Stop for a moment and think. Think deeply about what it means for God when He looks at you, looks at me, His face beams. To not move on without giving the words an opportunity to have an impact and to do their work. This is important. Let it sink in. Let it sink in. And when you do, what happens? You begin to think about how great it is to have God in your life. You know, a lot of times when you ask somebody, hey, are you blessed by God? They go, absolutely. How are you blessed by God? And they start naming the blessings. How would that be if somebody says, hey, Mark, you love your wife? I go, absolutely. I love that Ellen. And they say, how? Well, she's pretty good at cooking food. She makes a mean meatloaf. Keeps the house spotless. She does things, you know, to keep the house clean, to keep it in order. Has done a great job with our kids. I mean, does, at what point does that need to move on from sort of those lower level blessings and you just say, you know, I love Ellen for the sake of Ellen. I love Ellen because for me, there's no one else like her. I love Ellen because when I look at her, there are things that I see in no one else. And yet, that's how we treat God sometimes, right? 
Are you blessed by God? Do you love God? Yeah, why do you love God? He takes care of me. I'm blessed. House, family, health, money in the bank. At some point, that Salah in that verse wants us to pause and to, and, and, and to, to, to move past those lower-level blessings to the point that, you know why we're blessed? It's because God smiles at us. You know why we're blessed? It's because God didn't kick us to the curb. God wants me. God wants us. And we're blessed because God is God. And that is, that's where it begins. Israel would pause to reflect on this benediction and they would hopefully remember the promise that was behind it. That God is so great that he has changed everything about us. I mean, we were enslaved, literally enslaved. Not a metaphor, literally enslaved. And now we are free to live in this kind of blessing in his presence. And when they paused and thought about it and thought about the greatness of God, they would connect to the blessing or the promise behind it. Michael Wilcock, one of the, the commentators on the psalm, says, behind the words of Aaron that are behind the words of this psalm are the words of God to Abraham in Genesis 12. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and ever curses you. I will curse and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. The great blessings of God would travel into but not stop. They would travel into and through the life of Abraham unto all of the peoples of the earth. So why all the graciousness and the blessing and the shining face of God on his people? The answer, so that they might bless the peoples and the nations of the earth. And he says in verse 2, so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation, literally your saving work, among all the nations, every blessing from God in turn becomes a testimony to the ways of God and the saving work of God. I want to give you a little assignment for after lunch today and after the nap and you know, before the Cowboys at 7. A little assignment. I want you to go home and I want you to make a list of everything you consider to be a blessing from God in your life, including the very fact that God knows your name. And, and I want you to, to just pause and reflect on the, the, the greatness of these blessings and then think, how can the, the blessing of, of a spouse, how does that say something, how I treat that spouse, how that says something about the greatness and the beauty and the love of God, or the job? What does my work ethic or my treatment of colleagues say about God? Are the resources that I've been given, whatever they might be, what does my generosity or lack of generosity say about God? The psalmist says at the end, he says, you know, the land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. What he's saying there is that every harvest that the, the, the Israelites encountered was a reminder of God fulfilling a promise to care for his people. Health, 
God's blessed me with health. How does my physical energy and what I do with vitality or whatever, you know, whatever vim and vigor I might have, which is less at 57 than it was at 27, but what does that say about God in my life? You get the idea. And so we share these blessings rather than hoard them up. But we also care about the things that God cares about. We care about the things that God cares about. He says in verse 4, May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. We know what will happen one day, that that verse will be true. That this land, this, 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 this existence in the presence of God, heaven and earth coming together, that there will be a time in which which every wrong and all evil will be made right. Right now we live in a present world of fallenness. We live between the, the world of present fallenness and, and a future world of righteousness. We are a people who have a sense of what the future looks like when God's will for people becomes the reality for people. We look for that day when God is doing in the human project for, this, for, uh, for, for our good and for our blessing and for His glory. All of that is going to be accomplished. In other words, we as a people in this church, we lean into God's future. And that's why we work against evil and wrongdoing in this. We, we look to bless people in the ways that we have been blessed by God. We try to lift people out of poverty wherever we can. We pray for healing for everyone suffering from cancers and other terrible diseases. We, we stand with an arm around people who suffer emotionally and mentally. We build community in places that know only hatred and, and ignorance. And in the middle of all of that, we talk about the kingdom of God and His rule in the hearts of people. And then the last thing the psalm reminds us is to think big. Desire everyone to know God. When's the last time, just for self-reflection, it's rhetorical, no hands. When's the last time you prayed for every person in our community, where we are the body of Christ, to have an opportunity to hear the gospel and to see the gospel in such a way that it will revolutionize them and transform them. You've already noticed in, in Gabe's reading and in, in reading through this psalm a couple of words that show up over and over and over again. Five times in this psalm, there's concern for the peoples, not the people of God, but the peoples of the earth. Three times the nations. Psalmist is concerned not just for the people of God, but for the people of earth, the, the, the sons of God by creation. And one of the things that happens when you discover something wonderful in your life, you share it. You discover, you know, this product that cleans the spot off of a rug. Can't wait to share it with those that I'm friends with. Or there's an inexpensive place to take the dings out of a car. You share it with your buddies. 
And the bigger it is, the greater the desire for it to be made known. Cure for cancer. How evil would it be to discover something that wonderful and to hide it? You discover that cure for cancer, you do whatever it takes to get the word out. What about the cure for everything that's wrong in the world? What does it say for the person who has believed the gospel, has come to faith, experienced the new birth, but nonchalant about people who have yet to hear? That's what happens in John chapter 9. Jesus is, is walking down the road, man born blind. He's begging. Disciples ask the question, who sinned? This man or his parents said he was born blind. They, they don't they don't see what Jesus sees. What they see is a sinner. They see a sinner. Who sinned? This man or his parents. That he was born blind. And Jesus says, neither. He was born in order for you to see the work of God. Well, he heals the man. You know, the story, the neighbors begin to debate with each other. Here's this guy. He looks like the guy that was out there on the curb begging every day. But now he's dancing around and he's seeing, is this the same guy? Some claimed he was, some claimed he wasn't. But the neighbors, all they see is a beggar. They moves on to the Pharisees and the experts in the law. Uh, they are wondering about this healing because no one has ever heard in the, in the, in the history of healings of a man who was born blind now being able to see. The problem, though, is that it was done on the Sabbath. It was done on the Sabbath. Obviously, there's something astray, awry here with what's happened. Call his parents. Call his parents. They see a theological question. Call the parents. We're going to figure this out. The parents, knowing that whoever claimed that Jesus was the Messiah, would be kicked out of the synagogue, so they say, he's of age. Ask him. Ask him. This is their, their kid. You ask him. He's of age. So those disciples, they see a sinner. The neighbors, they see a beggar. Pharisees, they see his theological question. The parents see a threat. very first verse of John chapter 9 says that as Jesus went along, he saw a man. And because he saw a man, there was an opportunity for the work of God to be done in that man's life. And here we are with the greatest news that has ever been bestowed upon the understanding of a human being. And that is that God's work of transforming and changing and renewing and new birthing and all of that can be made available to anybody. And yet, what does it say when we can go nonchalantly through our day and never see the opportunities for the work of God to be done in somebody else's life. We think way too small. We think way too small. This psalmist thinks big. He says twice in the psalm, may the peoples, may everyone that draws breath, whether they speak Eucharitic or Akkadian or Hebrew or they speak like a Philistine, which sounds like I don't, you know, like something crazy, I guess. But what he cares about are all the peoples, that they praise you, God. That may all the peoples praise you. The psalmist is desiring everyone to know 
what he knows about God. And so he loves God, and he loves people. And he has a vision of the world out of Isaiah chapter 11, that the knowledge of God will fill the earth as the waters cover the seas. There's, in Luke chapter 19, we'll close right here. Luke chapter 19. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem for the last time, final time. And you know the story, you know, people are just praising him. You know, the people's come out. And they say, you know, Hosanna and glory to God in the highest and glory be on the son of David and, and things like this. And those Pharisees, I mean, those guys, not, not only are they hard on themselves, but they're hard on everyone else around them. Everyone else is having a good time and praising Jesus. They want it to stop. And so they complain to Christ. And they say to him, you need to tell these people to pipe down. You need to tell these people to shut up. You need to tell these people that they need to just quiet it down. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. If these people remain silent, the rocks will worship. The rocks will cry out. The rocks will glorify God. Every time I read that, I'm reminded of, of something really important, and it's kind of maybe a weird way to think about our job description as disciples of Jesus, but it's one, hopefully, that will stick. Do you know what our job is as a church? To keep the rock silent. Because we are the ones that are saying, He's the greatest. He's beautiful. He loves he gave his life. He sacrificed his blood and his body so that I don't have to go to prison for all of eternity. He's the one that takes care of me. He's the one that blesses me. He's the one that embraces me. He's the one that's going to forgive me every time I mess up. And I've already messed up about ten times this morning, at least that I can remember. That's who he is, and that's why we praise our delight in God becomes audible so that the rocks don't have to do it. And we share those blessings with everybody around us. You know what happens when you just give kid blessings after blessings after blessings after blessings and they don't learn to do anything with those blessings? What do we say? They become spoiled what? Rotten. What happened to the blessing of man when it came on the ground and they hoarded it? It became rotten. We don't hoard our blessings or we become spoiled, rotten children of God and the rocks are going to have to talk. What we do is share those blessings. We hold them lightly because we know they pass through us to somebody else in order for them to experience what it is that we experience when we look at God and know that His face shines upon us. Shines, it beams, He smiles. And we keep the rock silent. And we do what it is that God does in all of the things that he does in the world. And we think big. We think about everyone, regardless of language, regardless of the color of their skin, regardless of the color of their flag. We want them to know in order that all the peoples may praise God. Amen. We're going to have some shepherds down here at the front.
And if we can help you with anything that's going on in your life, we want you to come down and talk to these shepherds. And if you don't have time to come down at the beginning, they're going to stick around at the end of our assembly in our final song. If you want to come down and pray with them at that time, you can do so. We invite you to do it. For the rest of us, let's keep the rock silent as we stand and sing praise to God. To God be the glory, great things He hath done. So loved He the world that He gave us His Son, who yielded His life and atonement for sin, and opened the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear His voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord.